Welcome to the Evoke Greatness podcast. My name is Sunny, and this is my weekly podcast driven by my curious nature and fascination with the champion mindset. I have an insatiable hunger for growth and knowledge, and I'm dedicated to sharing the stories of myself and others and how we have navigated the journey to greatness, all while stumbling through valuable lessons along the way. I am a huge book nerd and a wee bit of a control enthusiast with an obsession for motivational coffee cups. I believe that a rising tide raises all ships, and I invite you along in this journey to evoke greatness. Good morning, everyone. I'm so excited to have um, just a special guest and a friend of mine this morning, Sunny Leinbarger. Uh, she is the CEO of Bristol Hospice and also um, the host of her own podcast called Evoke Greatness. She's a wonderful woman, and I just can't wait for you to get to know her a little bit better. Thank you so much for having me, Marcel. I surely appreciate the opportunity uh, anytime to sit down and chat with you. <laughs> yes, for sure. You know, Sunny, um, I would love to have you just begin with telling us about your journey. And just uh, people say, "Do you want? Where do you want me to begin?" And I would say, well, "You begin wherever you want to begin." We'd love to hear that journey that has to do with family life and work life, and how you've ended up where you are. Yeah, well, it's been a it's been quite an interesting journey, and I never. Uh, if had I had hindsight, I would have never pictured myself here. And um, being raised by a single mom, uh, my brother and I learned to be uh, resourceful and we learned to persevere <laughs> because we had this incredible woman raising us, oftentimes working three jobs, uh, just to make sure that, you know, that our ends were met. And so she really was formative in my, mm -hmm. the, you know, my younger years to kind of create something in me that just wasn't willing to back down from a challenge. <laughs> and, uh, and so I learned that very early on. So when I was 17, uh, my mom asked me if I wanted to go and get my CNA license. And I had my eye, I was majoring in psychology. Nope. I had the world figured out. <laughs> and she said, you know, how about you just, what, what if this is a backup plan? And yeah. I said, well, you know, I'm not, I'm not a big fan of it. And she said, well, how about if I pay for it? And then you just have this. I said, okay, fine. I go this through is this. At minute. 17. This is at 17. Yep. Okay. And I go and I get my CNA license and I thought there, you know, it's done. You know, <laughs> I'm pacifying my mom. Now I can move <laughs> forward. Uh, and so I went to school, was going to school for psychology and um, knew that there was going to be quite a bit of time that I'd be spending doing my studies. And so mm -hmm. I thought, well, you know what, I, I'm going to kind of give this a little whirl. And so I signed up with a registry. Mind you, I had <laughs> never... I wasn't the little girl who wanted to grow up and be a nurse. Mm -hmm. I had no interest in that whatsoever. And <laughs> <laughs> so I signed up for a registry. And uh, anyone who has ever done registry work, you know, or you learn very quickly that you get sent to the places where somebody doesn't show up for their shift. And you're <laughs> usually given the really hard 
uh, heavy yes. assignments. And so that's really, that was my entree into healthcare was wow. going to the nursing homes in Phoenix that were the undesired and undesirable places to be. They were the ones that had the terrible smell when you walked in and it was heartbreaking. Mm -hmm. And the people that I went and took care of, I saw that nobody else really wanted to care for these people. Even though it was our job, nobody really was raising their hand to say, Hey, I want to care for these patients because they were the ones who were mean or, you know, they, they Mm -hmm. were combative. And what I found was If I could just show up that day for eight hours and treat them like a human being Mm -hmm. compassionately wherever they were, then their day would be better. Mm -hmm. And sometimes I never would see those people again. Sometimes I would get requested to go back to places a lot of times. And so I ended up frequenting the VA hospital here and I met some of the most incredible veterans Mm-hmm. who uh, I, I would walk into their room and the, of course everybody, mostly male dominated uh, in the yes. hospital mm-hmm. and you would hear singing down the hallway and they would sing, Sunny, thank you for the sunshine. And, you'd, and it was so <laughs> funny, but like they just got the biggest kick out of my name. And so uh, I ended up absolutely falling in love with being a nursing assistant. Never thought mm-hmm. I would. And it was a total shock to me. And finally I thought, you know, I think I'm kind of liking this. <laughs> what if, what if I went to school for nursing? Mm. And uh, so I was CNA for 10 years and very, very slowly worked my way through nursing school mm-hmm. and um, fell absolutely head over heels in love uh, with nursing and with the human element. And I think that's really the biggest piece. I'm a very, mm-hmm. very empathetic person by nature. And so mm-hmm. I feel what other people feel very deeply and very strongly. And I think that's what made me a really great CNA and that's what made me a really great nurse. And that's Mm -hmm. what kept me really connected with my patients and wanting to make sure they had whatever they needed. Maybe it was only for those eight hours that day. Maybe it was only one time that month, but that they had what they needed and I left them better than I found them. Mm. And that then led me to hospice where I first kind of stepped into my first leadership role And, um, I found that I really was so connected. My identity was with providing patient care. And so it was a real challenge. It was a struggle for me. Leadership didn't come naturally per se. Mm -hmm. Uh, and so I had to make a decision whether or not I wanted to do this because it was taken away from the thing that truly lit my heart on fire, which was patient care. Mm -hmm. Uh, But there was a lot of opportunity in this other avenue of leadership. And so What I had to do was decide that I was able to be an incredible RN case manager because I had leaders up the chain making really good decisions, giving me the tools and resources necessary to be a great nurse. And so Mm -hmm. I could either be that great nurse and continue that route, or I could be that leader that put down the pavers for others to be able to be really great nurses and aides and social workers and chaplains and, and provide that really great interdisciplinary end of life, uh, journey for our patients and their loved ones. And so that's really, that was the, that's the entree into very, very early on and kind of the, the character traits that were instilled in me that led me down this path to, um, to now overseeing a national hospice company. Yes. Well, Sunny, um, 
you talked about that you feel what other people feel and and that goes right along with at one point you thought you would want to do a psychology major. I think sometimes when you're a leader, you feel like you're doing a lot of counseling. Yes. Um, Certainly in the hospice field. Um, So when you made that transition over to being a leader, um, what what are the key things that that you've tried to grow in? Because I know you're a huge growth person, and um, in, in just your own self, uh, what are some of the keys that that keep you motivated with doing that today? Yeah, I used to think I I used to be in a big hurry. So when I was a leader early <laughs> on. I was just green and inexperienced and um, full of all the hope in the world. <laughs> but you make you make mistakes that way, and you learn really valuable lessons. And what I always <laughs> found in myself was, uh, you can take, you can go left, and that's learning a lesson the really easy way, or you can go right, and that's a really challenging path. And I'm always like, mm, you know, I'm going to go right. <laughs> 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 I'm going to go ahead and take that harder way. Why uh, would you ever take the easy way, right? Right, I understand right. that. And oh. what I found was the more I embraced those lessons, they can either be damaging to your ego, and early on they are. Um, they can be damaging to your career, depending on how you see them. Mm-hmm. And so I chose at a, at a point in time when I had... Uh, was just kind of battling a lot personally and professionally. And I had to stop and say, okay, I have to recognize that there's been a long time here. I've been grappling with my ego and there have been some gnashing of teeth involved in there. And I have Mm -hmm. to decide whether or not I am going to have the self-awareness around that to help me get through these lessons and know that there's learning on the other side of them, or I have to be okay with just being stuck as a frustrated leader who is trying to, you know, get through things. Like if I would get a a promotion or a new position, my next thought was, how do I get to the next step? (laughs) And there is, I'm not sure, I was never serving anyone else with Mm. that mentality. Yeah. And so it came to the place of really embracing a growth mindset of, how do I take all of my lessons and help others with them, help others avoid them by sharing my lessons? How can I, you know, help others not always kind of take a right and take the hard path? And how can <laughs> I get others to see that the mistakes are actually what create your character in the journey and to mm-hmm. just fully embrace that? If you think about people who helped you along the way, Sunny, Talk to me about mentors that that have either formal or informal that have helped you navigate some of the some of the <laughs> some of the difficulties. Yeah, I've had so many mentors along the way. Some who I worked with personally and really uh, invested in me as a person and as a professional. And then I've had mentors who uh, never knew my name because I received mentorship from them via book or a podcast. Mm -hmm. And so it's been, you know, it's great nowadays that we can, mentorship is just around every corner or it's it's in an app on your phone. Mm -hmm. But early on, I had someone who was incredibly, uh, they were an incredible mentor for me. And um, 
I had one in particular leader who has been my boss actually a couple of times in a couple of different companies who specifically pushed me to grow and Mm -hmm. pushed me in ways that was uncomfortable. And so I remember, I still tell this story. We still laugh about this story. When I had gone to my very first hospice company as an RN case manager here in Arizona, and it was a decent sized hospice, about a thousand census. And I moved into my first leadership position there and I was like a team lead. And uh, he sat down with me one day and he said, Sonny, what do you want to do? You know, what is your kind of five-year plan? Where do you want to be? Where do you want to go? And I said, I sat up in all of my naivete and my greenness. And I said, one day, one day, I am going to be the clinical director here. (laughs) And he was like, oh, uh, (laughs) maybe you should think a little bigger. And I thought, what do you mean? That's like the king of the world position from from the lens that I'm looking at. And so we laugh now. And and he said, "I, I really think you need to think bigger. And I want you to give this some more thought. And uh, and so he has also uh, made decisions along the way that there were things, some things that needed to be taken away from me. And those are some really hard lessons to get through. And specifically, I, I was overseeing uh, a large region as a vice president. And he ended up actually taking part of my region away. Mm-hmm. And I was so mad at him (laughs) and hurt and frustrated because I was in that place of thinking, I've got to get to the next step. And how do I get to the next step? And and as leaders, the ego, when something gets, Mm -hmm. when something gets taken away from you, it's an immediate hit to your ego. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it took me about two months. And what he said to me was, I promise you on the other side of this, you are going to have developed some skills that you don't have today. You're going to be able to refine those things. You're going to be better at what you do on the other side of this. Mm-hmm. And nothing could have been more true. Navigating through that and really kind of that was one of the the big ego check times for me to say, okay, how do I not feel embarrassed or, you know, again, grapple with the ego and get to the place where I have lessons. And so those are lessons that I share with others now. And I share that personal experience with them. I tell them, Mm -hmm. I have personally been here. This is what got taken away from me. And here's why. And here's what I learned along the way. And that is so much easier for someone to receive news that they're getting something taken away from them when you can share vulnerably your own experience of how that happened and what's on the other side of it. And so I have people, somebody at a a conference recently uh, in front of our entire conference said um, something to the effect of, you know, Sunny, I I have to thank you because you said something to me that, that really didn't even hit me the right way at first. And when I look back now on the lesson that I got through that, I am so glad you pushed me. And it's like, those light bulb moments when we can get through that uncomfortability and get to the place of growth is a, it's a beautiful place. That's a, that's a wonderful story. And it's certainly a place that um, it's hard. It's hard for people who like to control things and um, <laughs> yes, <laughs> do things. I, you know, I always talk a lot about focus and it seems like as you're telling this story by taking some of those things away. It allowed you to focus 
on particular things. You did talk a little bit about mistakes. Is there any particular mistake that you could expand upon to talk to us about? Sure. I've got a big big (laughs) toolbox of them. (laughs) As do I. One of the things that I uh, was really helpful, again, after the fact, was when I was a new leader, uh, that same person I was telling you had mentored me. I had made a mistake and I missed something as I was overseeing a team. It was a billing mistake. Mm -hmm. And I could have just been reprimanded and I could have been told that, you know, that, that whatever, that was a terrible mistake. I could have been written up. He told me was... I want you to know that this mistake was a was a valuable mistake, like monetary value. And it was something like the mistake I had made, he put a dollar amount on. And mm-hmm. he said, this mistake was like a $39,000 mistake. <laughs> and if he'd have told me that it was a terrible mistake that, you know, if he could have said it any other way, it would not have had the impact that it mm-hmm. had for me to hear a dollar amount. And so that's something that I share with others is I don't, I, I'm telling you this so that you understand the magnitude of this mistake so that you realize how important it is to not make it again. And so those are kind of just the, almost like the, you know, the tactical or the clerical uh, mistakes. I think other mistakes, bigger mistakes have been um, later on in leadership when I felt like I had all the answers. <laughs> and um. I would lead from a place of not displaying how great my team was, mm-hmm. but I would display something in a way that made me look better. Mm-hmm. And I, there were people who shared how that made them feel along the way. Mm-hmm. And that's a really, that's something that, that you kind of have to chew on a little bit and get through Mm -hmm. to say, what, how am I showing up? Am I showing up in a way of truly being a servant leader or am I showing up in a way where I want to be the star student? Mm -hmm. And if I want to be the star student, I probably need to be in a different line of business because in the hospice world, we have incredible leaders who work long hours and do a hard job to make sure at the end of the day that their teams are taken care of and their patients and their families and their communities are taken care of. And this is a place where you're a servant leader, this industry, you can't, mm-hmm. there's no room for a star student. Mm-hmm. That's beautiful, Sunny. Really beautiful examples. Um, let's switch gears a little bit. And I know that along this journey, you also have a family uh, let's talk about how you juggle all of those balls. Um, I know, are all your kids still at home? Um, yeah, I have a, a 10-year-old and a 13-year-old at home. Okay, okay. Um, so let's talk about, you know, how you do that. Yeah, uh, we we are busy. Um, Pre-COVID, <laughs> I think life was different. Uh, yeah. so I took a traveling job for the very first time. When my oldest, my 13-year-old was, uh, no, wait, let's see, when my 10-year-old was one Mm, and my uh, 13-year-old was literally starting kindergarten and I had never had like a road warrior travel job like this before. And so I thought I, 
I was recruited at a conference, uh, told about this amazing, you know, regional position. And they said, it's a, it's a road warrior job. And so I came back and I talked to my husband and I said, this would be great for my resume. This would be great from experience. And, and so we agreed we'd, we'd do it for one year. Mm-hmm. Because then everybody had always been used to having me be home, and um, it was a lot of adjustment. And mm-hmm. that role that I had, there were days that I was on the road for five days a week, and right. it was um, my my five my five year old at the time was very very close to me, and so we would do a call at the end of the evening because I thought that was the right thing to do, and it would end up upsetting him more because he just mm-hmm. couldn't understand why aren't you here? Yeah, and so it was really challenging to balance, and and I did you know I probably leaned a little heavier towards my career than I did my family, mm-hmm. and that again one of those one of those lessons, and it's hindsight, and um, and so that causes that causes challenges at home, although it. Mm-hmm you know, it may make things go better at work. And so you have to, you have to, I say a fluid shift or a fluid balance. Um, it's never equally yoked. Absolutely. <laughs> There's never a time when <clears throat> never. and uh, home are just split down the middle. Um, mm-hmm. But I think we just got a different, so then I tried to do a much better job at balancing and communicating. And when it was something really important at home, that's, that's what I needed to be at. And if it was something really important at work, I just asked for a lot of grace for my husband and my kids. And so they, we really got into a, a pretty good routine. And mm-hmm. when, when there were important things, I, I told, you know, the other, Hey, this is, this is the important thing. And so this is where I need to go and be. And then COVID happened and I was <laughs> used to traveling a lot. Yes. And then all of a sudden that kind of came to a screeching halt and mm-hmm. Just as it took time to adjust to me being gone, it took time to adjust for both me and my family to be home. Mm-hmm. And what we did is um, there were some, you know, there was some kind of contention around the fact of of me being home all the time, which is just comical. Mm-hmm. But I told my my uh, oldest son at the time, I said, "Listen, there are many of days where we prayed, where you explicitly you prayed that I wish my mom was home more. Mm-hmm. Right now." <laughs> God is giving us the opportunity. He's answering our prayers right now. Yeah. And I don't know how long this will last, but that's the perspective that we should look at this in. Mm-hmm. And so we started, we got a routine and their, their world got turned upside down with uh, online school and just yeah. this weird element of not having this social component to school and learning. And so we got into a great routine, but I will tell you what, there is... As, as much as COVID turned the world over on its ear, it I choose to see it as one of the biggest blessings of our lives mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. it gave us time that we didn't previously have. And I will tell you, we, my 10-year-old and I went on bike rides all the time together and we would go on walks in the morning and evenings and we'd just talk about everything, everything. And my 13-year-old and I, uh, we got to connect in a way that we hadn't. As a family, we got into uh, astronomy and we got a, uh, um, oh, what are they called? Uh, the telescope. Mm-hmm. Yes, we got a telescope and we got these apps on our phones. And we just engaged and connected mm-hmm. in a way that we hadn't been given the opportunity to 
because, you know, we were constantly going. And so I choose to see that as an absolute blessing. And so we, we really had to balance that time out well. And now I'm getting back to traveling a bit more. Um, Mm -hmm. but it's, you find this new space together. Mm -hmm. And I think as our kids are getting a little bit older and my husband and I are further along in our relationship and we learn more about each other, you know, through each of these seasons, um, I think it's, it's that fluid shift and it's that fluid balance that we do our very best on. That's a great term to say a fluid balance. I, I always kind of describe it as a, uh, you know, a a whole life of averages, Mm -hmm. Um, but I like fluid balance better. (laughs) So that's, that's a prettier example. You know, you brought up 2020 and I think I would be amiss not to say, um, you know, talk to me a little bit about that time from a business perspective. You um, you have hospice, and I know it, especially in the beginning days of 2020, it was <laughs> no one really knew what they were doing. And, and talk to us about crisis management at work, if you will. I know you 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 were responsible for a very large organization. You know, the interesting thing that happened right off the bat was all these statistics were coming out. And um, I know we both regularly go to Home Care 100. And the Lincoln Healthcare Group started putting out these statistics and these reports and started doing these uh, national task force calls. And what was fascinating about it was was, they were very informative. We were, we had, you know, physicians who were kind of at ground zero in New York as their hospitals were filling up. And we had all of these different perspectives. And what we did is we came together as an industry, healthcare as a whole. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And we started listening really closely to what (laughs) each other were saying. And that allowed me to have a better perspective and a better handle on how I was going to steer almost 5,000 patients and 2,500 employees. And our executive team, we sat down regularly and went through, okay, here's, here's the downloaded information that I got from this task force. And here's what we need to disseminate. Uh, you know, here's what we're doing from a PPE perspective. And so I think everybody, there was, there was a real opportunity there for uh, failure, and for the bottom to fall out. And our industry, man, we rallied around each other and we shared. Mm-hmm. There were no, there weren't competitors anymore. It was, yeah. we are in this together. And I explicitly remember when no one could get PPE, uh, Jennifer Sheets said, hey, we have an you know international business. And so we've secured this massive lot. If anyone needs some, here's my email, reach out to me. And I mean, they're just, there were these olive branches extended everywhere where we needed them. And so what, what we did, my team and I for Bristol is we took a look at, okay, what are the biggest challenges we have right now? We need to make sure we devise a communication plan because we need to let everybody know what's happening. And at at a very frequent cadence, we need to establish a way to monitor every single piece of PPE in this company so that we have, I have a global understanding as to where everything is. If someone's running low, how do I know that? How do I know to get them more? Um, We needed to tend to our patients. 
We needed to tend to our communities and we needed to tend to our people. We had 2,500 people who were kind of blindsided by this. And a lot of them were scared to go out and provide care. Mm -hmm. And I recall some of those task force calls over the course of, you know, six plus months where there were organizations, there were leaders of organizations saying, I'm not taking a COVID patient. And I just thought, what? (laughs) I mean, as a a human being first, then as a nurse um, and, and as a leader, And Mm -hmm. so we had, uh, we had some people who were scared and we couldn't, you had to address that. And so I sent a lot of emails out to all of our staff, just acknowledging that, that there's fear and that there is the unknown and that we want to make sure that you're taken care of. You know, we did not lay off one person during COVID. And Mm -hmm. if they had circumstances where they didn't feel like it was best for them to be there at the time, out in the field providing care, then we would allow them to furlough until they were ready to come back. And we really, that I am, I am really proud of how we handled our company and handled our people and our patients during this period of time. Mm -hmm. And we, we tended to the things that were really uncomfortable we tended to, not only were we in a pandemic, but we had these social injustice issues. And you can't not address those. We're a large company and people have to know that, you know, we, we, ser- we as people of all color, shapes, and sizes serve people of all color, shapes, and sizes and beliefs. Exactly. And, and at the end of the day, we will show up as humans taking care of other humans. All the right. rest... The colors, the descriptions, the, you know, religion, none of that matters. We are humans showing up for humans and our company needed to hear that. Our people needed to hear that. Mm -hmm. So uh, I did a lot of really frequent communication out to all of our staff, allowing them to respond. Um, There was someone who came up with this company called Emotional PPE, and it was for mental health for healthcare workers. And it was a, it was free. It was a free service for healthcare workers, and it was volunteer work by counselors and psychiatrists and psychologists that were just offering, uh, whether it was like video help or uh, virtual appointments. There, you could even get something local in your community. And so I, you know, pushed that out to all of our team. I said, "It's okay to not be okay, and if you need help, it's here. If you need help, raise your hand." you know, we're here for you. And so there was a lot that happened inside of, you know, the last 18 months. And we just needed people to know that we saw them and we heard them and we were here for them. Um, Emotional PPE. I have to say, I've not heard about that. And that's just amazing. Uh, I'll have to look that up. Yes. After we, after we hang out today, Um, I know in, a lot of the field we work in, we are uh, we're a little different than just right, you know, a, a different type of business. In that we are, we do have a lot of females in in just the companies we manage and that kind of thing. But um, tell us about your experiences as being a female leader. I know, as you've been talking, you mentioned that uh, a male counterpart who was a mentor. And uh, talk to us about the struggles and the opportunities you think you've had because you are a woman. 
Yeah, I think uh, this makes me think about when I was a new leader and really young and managed people that were older than I was, way more experienced than I was. You know, I was just kind of the silly one who like stepped up for this leadership role. (laughs) And what I learned very early on is regardless of gender, respect isn't given, it's earned. And so I have had valuable mentorship with, uh, with men, with women. I have also had exceptional experiences with both that, that taught me what not to do. Mm -hmm. And so I think there are, there's always going to be, um, uh, you know, from a, a male perspective, not everyone, but there's always going to be an opinion out there that is, uh, you're a woman and you can't do this as well as I can. <laughs> and that's when I, you know, show up and roll my sleeves up and say, yeah, let's, 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 let's go. Let's try this. <laughs> right. Um, and I think there are, there's always going to be, uh, from a, a female component there, uh, a sense of competition and a sense of I can't be on top if somebody else is is right next to me. And so, through all the experiences that I've had, both positive of what to do and what not to do, is that man I I am here um, in my position because I worked really really hard, and mm-hmm. because I fell down and learned a lot of lessons and gained humility and gained a perspective of really, truly wanting to serve and lead people. But I also didn't get here alone. I got here because there were a lot of women and men before me who allowed for me to stand on their shoulders. And so in my philosophy of leadership, it is how do I lay the pavers for others? How do I let people get on my shoulders so that someone can get on their shoulders so that we keep this going. But if we don't have a sense of a true sense of responsibility around being a leader, my responsibility is to make sure that others shine and that others around me or below me or above me have those pavers to step onto. And if I didn't feel that way, I, you know, I I would be in the wrong line of business. Sunny, you, you've accomplished a lot. You're definitely entering teenage years with <laughs> kids, one already a teenager, one going to be. That's a fun time of life, but also um, a challenging time of life. But but how do you continue uh, to challenge yourself? I mean, what are some things that you can uh, share, how you can self-challenge every day? Yeah, I think you there you have to have something that you're working towards and that can constantly evolve. Um I am an avid reader. I am constantly consuming books and podcasts and audiobooks, uh videos. I am in a constant state of learning. And so uh where where that will end me up, um I don't know. I'm certainly nowhere near you know, finished, or I feel like I'm almost (laughs) just getting started. I'm just really kind of priming Mm -hmm. to get started, which is exciting. Um, Mm -hmm. because I think I, you know, for a, a lot of years, I didn't think I didn't have the confidence in myself. I didn't have the experience. I, um, didn't have the humility or the intentions Mm -hmm. that I have today. And I think where I am today is, is a great place to get started. Um, 
you know, leading a leading a large hospice company as the COO, I would have never thought that I would be in this position in a thousand years. <laughs> and now I thought, well, gosh, you, you know, I, I'm not, I'm really just, I've been, I've been in this role with Bristol for almost three years and I'm still getting my arms around it. And so I'm not mm-hmm. at that place where I'm constantly like trying to get to the next step. Um, and I think when you're in that place, that's when opportunities really flow your way. And if you're constantly seeking to grow and learn and evolve and refine yourself, um, each season and each stage, you kind of show up as a um, optimized, you know, so what does Sunny 2.0 look like? Okay, great. What does Sunny 3.0 look like? And that's going to constantly be evolving. What advice would you give this next generation of female leaders? Knowing something firsthand that I struggled with for so long which was being so worried about what everybody else thinks. <laughs> and um, I think it's, uh, it was Rachel Hollis who said, everybody else's opinion is none of my business. <laughs> and that is, that the quote couldn't be more true. When my kids are telling me, but so-and-so said this about me, or so-and-so thinks this about me, and I'll say, but, but does that, does that pay your bills? Does that pay your, <laughs> you know, does that uh, help you in sports? No, because none of that impacts you. And the minute, the very minute that you can stop worrying about what everybody else thinks, you show up as a more authentic self. Mm-hmm. Don't worry about um, feeling like, you know, imposter syndrome is something that is just so big, both in men and women today. A lot of people won't admit it. I certainly will. There were a lot of years that I was constantly in a state of, feeling like I didn't deserve, I didn't earn where I was and I, somebody was going to find out and they were going to realize I didn't have all the answers and <laughs> you don't, you're never going to have all the answers. Your answers get better because of, of time and experience and wisdom, but you're never going to have all the answers and show up and really strive to be the very best you figure out what's fundamentally important to you. And Figure out what's fundamentally important with, if it's a company that you want to work for, how do those two align? If they don't align and they're not congruent, go, go and look somewhere else. Mm. There are so many opportunities, but, you know, be bold. Don't take no for an answer. Mm. Uh, you know, um, I, I was doing a podcast with uh, somebody recently and she said, when, oper- when, when the door of opportunity cracks open, you kick that door in. And you run as far as you can, as fast as you can, with as much of you as you can bring. And I'm like, oh, drop the mic right there. Like that <laughs> is fabulous. Just, just take as much as you can of you and run through that door. Oh, that, that that would be my advice. Right. That is a great way to try to sum this up, too. <laughs> um, I always end with Sunny, which I, I know you know this about me, too. I love books. I love yes. all kinds of books. Um, if you put something in front of me, don't expect me to actually listen to you because for whatever reason, I'm just drawn to whatever's written on uh, in whatever format or listen to these days. I'm way into audio stuff. Talk to uh, us about your favorite books and they can be any, any books, um, you know, whether fiction or business books or whatever. What, what are some of your favorite books? Yeah, so I think any uh, you're there now. But any book from from John Maxwell, 
uh, <laughs> gosh, that man just oozes wisdom out of his pores. Um, mm-hmm. Tribe of Mentors. It's got all of these uh, examples of leaders and, and how they were mentored, how they mentor. Uh, so a book that really helped me early on in my career was Lean In by Sheryl Sandberg. And okay. um, and then a couple that I'm reading right now is uh, Believe It by Jamie Kern Lima. She is the, was the founder of It Cosmetics and sold her company for a <laughs> billion dollars. And then Kara Golden, who's the founder and CEO of Hint, she has a book that just came out called Undaunted. And so yes. those are two that I am reading right now. My bookshelf uh, is, uh, I need more. I need more. My husband, uh, my husband thinks I have a problem. <laughs> I, I understand that. And what do you do? We used to have in our company, I kind of sold it, um, stole it from another, um, from Zappos, where they had basically a, a bookstore, if you will, but you could always take one. You, you, that's what I think I need to do with mine. Take oh, the lobby of my building and put all the books in there and say, please partake. Uh, if you want, if you would like one of these books, because after a while oh my word, they're, they're everywhere. They're everywhere. Yeah. So No, I, I love that idea. And something that I do for my team. So I have a, a book and it is, um, um, Deanne Turner, she was the first female executive in Chick-fil-A. She has a book called Bet on Culture. Yes. And after I reading know. that book, yes, you introduced I, me to, I, to I her and to her say, book. I know, I know Deanne really well. Oh, she's a good friend. She's, um, she's delightful. Yes. yes. And so that book, every single new senior leader and above gets a copy of that book in Bristol. That's great. And so that is a that is a go to, and then every regional meeting that I have with all of our senior leadership and above and our executive team, um, a book a book they go home with a book. Fabulous, <laughs> yes. like it or not, they get it. <laughs> like it or not, whether they, um, I, I was just given one this morning. I have not even picked picked it up called Everybody Matters by oh, Bob God. Chapman and Raj Sasodia Sasodia. I probably just butchered his name, so please forgive me. <laughs> um so I I haven't even I, I but someone handed me this this morning. I love books as a gift. That's such uh that's a great thing you're doing in a key position. Well Sonny, it has been uh such a delight to, to talk to you this morning. I'm I'm honored that you would give us uh, some moments of your busy life, and and I uh, I am I'm your cheerleader in the background, of course, with all that you do. And so um, we at Fifty Percent with Marcel Combs uh, just give a huge shout shout out to uh, you today, Sonny, and and just have a fabulous rest of your week. Oh, thank you so much. The pleasure has been all mine, and I appreciate any opportunity to uh, to chat with you. Thank you, Sonny. listening today. I hope you'll stick around. If you liked this episode, will you do me a favor? 
go leave a review and share what you liked about it. Or heck, share what you didn't like about it. You'll struggle to find someone more open to feedback. And if you have ideas or comments on an episode, you can actually leave me a voice message directly. If you go to evokegreatness.com on the Contact Me tab, you can hit a button and leave me a voicemail. Y'all know I love a good quote, so I will leave you with this from Jeremy Coates. Being a champion has nothing to do with sports. It's a mindset, a skill of looking at challenges that seem impossible and rising up to overcome.